ever since at least uh, the time of the rabbis, the Talmudic period, commentaries have been fundamentally conflicted about Samson. And, and I, that's, you know, I think that's, <laughs> so if we're conflicted about Samson as a personality today, it's got a long, uh, it's got a long heritage. What there does the Talmud a, tell us then? The rabbis themselves um, split down uh, two uh, very clear lines. One side was profoundly, it didn't know what to do with him um, because on the one hand, on the one hand, he was a judge, and on the one hand, he saved Israel and he did all these wonderful things, and he was phenomenally strong. Uh, on the other hand, they were um, really not happy with uh, uh, certain aspects of his behavior. So, for example, um, there's a, you know, the, there's a uh, Almost a universal uh, top theme of measure for measure. You do X, you get you get you get paid back in the same in the same coin. So the rabbis in uh, tractate uh, Sota um, say that Samson was blinded because he followed his eyes. Uh, he um, got uh, he was fell in love. He kept falling in love falling in love with non-Jewish and then Philistine women. And he says, "I want her." And since he followed his eyes, his eyes were taken out. In other mm -hmm. words, so the rabbis were willing to recognize the fact that he made contributions. On the other hand, they were less than uh, they were less than happy with um, with a lot other parts of his behavior. Uh, you want to call it boorish? You want to call it brutish? You want to call it sort of like uh, overly lusty? You can. You have your choice. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's another line of of interpretation, which sees uh, Samson as a um, as a totally fine. He was righteous. He was a tzaddik, and he was he was really one of the best. And uh, and the and God's uh, spirit spoke from his throat. So you have two kinds of really vague, very, you know, very very starkly uh, contrasting uh, kind of approaches, and this continues. Continues saying, oh, he was he was wonderful. Okay, so he had some flaws, but the but the good out of the way to bad. And then you have um, sort of realists like Tuck Ravenel, who was a politician himself, so he sort of be appreciated. He says, listen, sometimes, sometimes uh, in order to be able to uh, save the Jewish people or in order to get what's done, what has to get done, you need to have tactics, you need to have personalities, which are not the person that maybe mm -hmm. you would want your daughter to bring home uh, <laughs> as a prospective groom. Uh, Samson, we what the people needed. So there's nothing essentially wrong with being uh, sort of uh, a bit of a wild man, or you know, being a bit uh, on the on the on the muscly side. Right. But maybe it's not ideal. But every every single circumstance requires, you know, has its has a certain requirements. Okay. And then you have, and you have uh, sort of positions in the middle. There was a really fascinating guy who was who was the rabbi of um, Kandia, and he said. That uh, what was wrong with what, what can you say wrong with with, with with Samson? So he fell in love with this. so he was a wonderful judge and he was strong and he was uh, a person who was able to lead the, you know battle against the Philistines. That uh, because he married a non-Jewish woman, but she converted, so she sort of increased the tribe, which which goes against uh, it goes against generally the Jewish reticence against you know say, being actively conversionist. But when you consider the fact that he lived in Italy, it was a, really a product of the Italian Renaissance. So you have uh, you have this kind of uh, merger of uh, of a Renaissance position of the person who can do everything. He's a judge and he's spiritual. He's also he's also universal. He's also particular. And, and so Samson becomes rather than be somebody who you have to deal with, I'm sort of an ideal. Well, you know, Samson is a little bit different from the other judges because in a way he was an individualist. He worked on his own. He didn't amass an army around him, let's say like uh, Deborah or Gideon. Uh, and and there's something also maybe uh, talk to me a little bit about how uncomfortable we are as Jews with power and strength? 
Oh, that's interesting. You know that that the whole question about the sort of reshaping of the Jew in the uh, in the modern era mm. uh, partly revolves around Samson. I mean, one of, uh, one of Jabotinsky's most famous uh, works is a novel called Samson, mm. which he. Samson is the uh, is, is the hero, and he becomes he becomes a prototype because Jewish power and it's in the idea of of, of Jabotinsky's uh, image of the Jew as having instead of being you know broken and bent and stuff like that, about being proud and having dignity and uh, and uh, the whole song the whole Beitar song is is is, is, is expresses that it's called the Hadar HaBeitari, uh, standing up and the new Jew and and, and it also probably echoes on the left as well in terms of the new Jew the muscular Jew and Right. Uh, and and so on, and going back to to work in the fields and uh, and uh, and so on and so forth. So a look at that sort of uh, new image, conflicted with the you know collected wisdom of the ages. Uh, you know, wasn't it uh, Prime Minister Levi Eshkol says you know how should Israel be looked at? Shimshon the Nebuch, that poor Samson. You know, <laughs> on the one hand we're very powerful, but we have to sort of like can't flaunt it because that'll make the uh, that'll make the nations of the world set with us, and they'll um, and we shouldn't and we shouldn't and as you said, we shouldn't go off on our own and and act unilaterally because that'll get everybody upset and. You know, on the other hand, the, the, the response to that was the Bengurian sort of thing, like, who cares? Like, we'll do what we have to do, and let, you know, it's more important than what the, what the Jews do, the, the, what the Gentiles say. What about this idea of martyrdom, where he went and pulled down the temple on top of himself? I mean, for, for Jews, I mean, we, we don't do that. That's not true. On the contrary, on the contrary. In fact, now we're talking about we're right now in the uh, at the end of, uh, of the counting of the Omer. Right. This is the uh, this is the period in which we recall the mass martyrdom of of really thousands and thousands of Jews in a relatively small Jewish community in in Germany uh, in 1096 when the Crusaders uh, uh, came at them on their way to the uh, on the way to the individual land to the Holy Land to conquer it, and they decided, uh, according to all records, both Latin and Hebrew. They, when they count the Jews, they say, why do we have to travel all the way to, you know, Palestine or the Holy Land in order to um, settle scores with the with the uh, with the Muslims? Let's settle scores with the, with the Jews first, and they can either convert or we'll kill them, and this way we'll get rid of them either way. And the Jews, when they were able to, actually did fight back. It's one of these things that people don't know. The Jews were not always passive. We know for a fact that they put on armor and took swords, and they tried to beat back the crusaders who came to attack them, but they were overwhelmed. Uh, and at that point, according to the Chronicles, um, not only did they let themselves be killed rather than in masses, rather than convert, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds actually to either took their own lives and either even killed each other Masada-like wow. so that they don't fall in the hands of the crusaders and be forced converted. It's especially true. It's horrific to say, but even they wanted to save their children from hell. So they actually killed their own children so they don't get kidnapped and raised as Christians and then end up being consigned to the fires of hell after they die because it won't be Jews anymore. Well, you talk about Europe uh, in the Middle Ages. I mean, uh, even uh, in Prague, the golem is a kind of a Samson, isn't it? The idea that Jews have to stand up for themselves um, is it, it, it pop up. It's not, it's, not, it's not a rarity. We have this sort of, in the, in the Israeli schools, you have this sort of idea that Bar Kokhba died, died and the Shomer arose in the 19th century and Jews never defended themselves. It's not true. Mm-hmm. They defended themselves in the Crusades. They defended themselves, interestingly, against the Christian conquerors of Spain, 7-11, shoulder to shoulder with the Muslims, interestingly. And the same thing, they fought shoulder to shoulder with the Muslims against the Crusaders in Jerusalem in 1099. And whenever the opportunity was there, for example, we know that there were 
synagogues in Poland that were built like fortresses. One of them even had cannon on the roof so that they could defend themselves against, uh, well, they, it's a little early called pogroms, but against attacks. That didn't often happen. They should defend themselves and stand up. Well, you know, uh, Samson has also seen, uh, even in modern Israel, you talk about the, the new Jew. I mean, in the 1948 war, the War of Independence, we had a, a unit called Samson's Foxes, right? And then also mm-hmm. also you had uh, a military unit later on called Shimshon worked in the Gaza Strip. And, and then also you have in Israel Samson Jims because, I mean, everybody wants to be the strong man, right? Right. right. No, there is, a, there is definitely a... Um that part is actually taken. I mean, in other words, the idea that you have to, um, that, that the sort of passivity that, uh, which is, as I said, is something of a caricature, but this idea of the passive Jew, the one who sort of like lets the, lets the waves break over him and he keeps his head down in order to try to survive, which was a, you know, was a, was a realistic and successful policy you know, for a long Because we admire, we admire the, the warrior. In fact, one of the, it's interesting, one of the leading, I'm not going to mention names, but one of the leading anti-Zionist Jewish intellectuals in America, he's also a, says that there's a fundamental inversion or even perversion of the idea of the strong Jew because the natural state of the Jew is to be feminine, passive, and in exile. That's our natural state. So the, the idea of the male Jew, the more aggressive Jew, the strong Jew, that's actually an inversion or even a perversion of Jewishness. Which means, which if he's wrong, but the point is that that there's a very in certain circles there's a, there's a very strong reaction against this sort of like you know saying who is still living in exile mentality mentality. I was very close with a prominent Jewish upper West Side intellectual in New York, a really a lovely, lovely man. But he was a classic sort of you know socialist. Uh, intellectual type uh, from the, you know, who likes to you know, eat bagels on Sunday morning. So we weren't having, uh, actually we weren't having drinks at his house. And he said to me, I, I can't deal with you. I said, why? What's the matter? We're friends. He said, no, but you know, but you're a professor and stuff like that, but you, you carry a gun and, and you serve in the army. And I, it, it, how can you be Jewish like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the new Jew. There's a new Jew, tell him. <laughs> there you go. No, but he wasn't able to process it. That's, that was the part that really struck me. Uh-